0: Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, and we are going to complete this study in the book of Hebrews this morning. We go to the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. And what I'm going to do is summarize the chapter for you. Instead of going verse by verse as we've been going, I'd like you to read this chapter when you get home. I'm going to summarize the attitude and uh, really the theme of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey. Really, f- I, I truly believe that Paul is the writer of Hebrews, and again, if, if not him by his own hand, certainly he, he taught and instructed the one who wrote it. Uh, it is of a little more eloquent speech than Paul, but it certainly holds all of the theology of Paul and even all the attitude of Paul uh, here at the end where he's greeting uh, his uh, beloved people and Timothy and so forth. So, but let's see what the theme of Hebrews 13 is. And I could sum it up in one word. Attitude. Attitude. He's talking to a people who had fear. Fear of, of fully coming into a dependency on Christ or if they should back away and go back to their old religious system. And he's saying, I expect better of you. I expect that what the Holy Spirit's doing in you is going to bring the fruit of salvation and you'll stay committed to Christ. You can't reject him and re-crucify him over again. You can't do that. Don't reject Christ. He said, but stay here. Stay in this place. And he said, you know what? For you to get along, and this is typical of Paul, is now to give practical application to all the theology he's given. It's what I love about Paul. He always shares theology and moves it into practicality. And in this last chapter, he says, you know what? It's all based on your attitude. Our faith is all about attitude, what you believe and how you're going to act. And so we begin with this. I want to share with you probably uh, Chuck Swindoll's uh, maybe greatest theme is that whole theme of attitude. And I'd like to repeat what Chuck Swindoll says. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude is more than facts. It's more important than facts. It's more important than the past. It's more important than education, more important than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And that's so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And, of course, Chuck Swindoll did a tremendous job of explaining that, and let's look at that in the book of Hebrews. He begins by saying this in chapter 13, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Let brotherly love continue. Now there's an attitude that has to remain in the church. And, and we could go to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at the definition of love. Love is never selfish. Love is never rude. Love does not count the number of times you've failed it. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is an attitude he says, look, at I know you folks are headed for trouble. You believers in Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. There'll be trouble among you. There'll be divisions. Keep an attitude of love. An attitude of love is absolutely essential. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. He talks about hospitality. The church must be welcoming new people into it. God help us to have a spirit of hospitality that new believers could come in and not feel unwelcomed. That's the worst thing a church can do. Oh, but pastor, it dilutes the water. We were working so good at getting to such a great spiritual high. Well, your spiritual high is no good unless it accepts new believers into it. This isn't a club. This is Christianity. This is a faith that introduces and says, all, uh, just list every sin. Remember, all your sins. <laughs> Let everybody come in that has that. Let everybody come in. We have to give a message that everybody is welcome in this place and that love is the attitude in the heart of this place. You're struggling with an addiction? I was too. You're struggling with, a, with this issue? I was too. Your marriage is falling apart? Come on in. We want to bind and help and pull together. That's the attitude of hospitality. And I love this, he says, because the church is a supernatural place. Do You know, the world can find that kind of comfort from... Uh, AA and different help groups and, and the PTA and a little house association and some friendships and groups and all that but there's something different about the church I love it, it's supernatural he says you never know when you're going to entertain an angel oh glory I like that he said this is a supernatural place when you have people coming into this house you never know it could be, a, it could be someone down and out it could be f- someone from up and above And and he says, this has been happening among you. You've not realized it, but you entertained an angel. Now what are angels supposed to do? Now we can go into the scripture there, and he told us in Hebrews chapter 1 that angels are, what? Ministering spirits to those who are called of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would expect angels are coming in and out of here, and if we don't have a good welcoming committee, could we have had some visitations and none of us knew it? Help us, Lord. Man, are there any angels here this morning? (laughs) Raise your hand. We should have that kind of an expectation of the supernatural in this place. My goodness, we can get so program-oriented and so structured that angels can't find their way in and can't find an ability to bless us because we're not looking for the supernatural. We need to be looking for the supernatural. He says, "You just, you just never know. Would you just share the love of God? Because you never know. It could be an angel of the Lord walking in your midst." He says, "This even from angels of the Lord. You need to have such a love one for another that there are many." He said, "Who are in prison? Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering." Now that's intercession, and that's a bond of fellowship and an attitude that says, I have compassion and care for your situation. We, we uh, shared just two weeks ago the persecuted church Sunday, and this is a perfect verse for it. Remember those who are persecuted and in prison, as if you were in prison, because they're part of the body of Christ. Do you know that a vast majority of our body is in jail and being persecuted for their faith? That's like having a severe pain in your leg or in your arm or in your back or somewhere. And you're feeling that pain regularly. And you're interceding to the Lord God, heal our pain. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should have such a love that we're praying for those who are afflicted. We're praying for the needs of the body of Christ. He goes on and he then talks about another action and an attitude for the health of the church. He says marriages are really important. Marriages are essential to the body of Christ. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all those of sexual immorality. And so marriage is essential. We should pray for the marriages in our church. It is hard in this day and in this age. We need to pray for our young people who are making decisions on who they'll marry. We need to cultivate an atmosphere in a place that teaches them morality and purity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sexuality is extremely close to spirituality. Why is it that sin is always related to a, a sexual issue? When you cheat or have idolatry against God, it's called an adultery to the Lord. Why is idolatry so closely associated to sexual immorality? Because spirituality and sexuality are very, very close. And, and this idea that when you're moving into sexual immorality of, of adultery or fornication, you begin to impact and affect your spiritual well-being. You join someone. Believers, when you join together, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when you sleep with someone, you are uniting Christ with that person. God forbid, Paul says, you would join Christ to a harlot, to an unbeliever, to a lost one. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Is somebody getting this? The marriage bed is undefiled. It is sacred. It is holy. It is a covenant unto God, and it has failed miserably in our land. Because I'll tell you why. Not because the church is, is not hard enough on divorce. That's not the issue. It's because the church has completely failed to teach marriage, to model marriage, to model a healthy, strong marriage. The church hasn't done that. Let's go on. He says our attitude towards marriage is essential. It's very important. He goes on and he says this. Your attitude should be one of contentment. He says in verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. There's an attitude. You know what? I have have an attitude on money. I really do. Do you know that you can love money? I'll confess my sin to you. God's been dealing with me on this. He he nailed me. So I'll confess to you. I have a love for money. A- a- and it's not that I'm always pursuing money, it's that I'm envious of people with money. You ever been there? You ever go looking at the Christmas lights down on Lakeshore Drive? <laughs> wow. And you get back in your driveway, half the lights are out on your trees. <laughs> You know, God showed me that, I, that we need to have a contentment and that there is a love for money not because you're pursuing money but you have envy of others who have it. That is a sense of a love of money. If I just had that, if I could have that, how come I always got to have this? We've got to be careful with that attitude because it really is a reversal of the love of money. We've got to be able to know that God can be faithful to give us money, we can use it and we should use it for the kingdom, but he said let's be content. Let's have contentment in our hearts. That's an attitude that I'm all right. I'm glad. I've got a good life. I've got a good family. I've got a good job. I'm all right. God is good. Amen. Get you know you put the catalogs away. I wish I had this. Wish I had that. Wish I had this. And let's Let's give thanks to God for what we have. And I'll tell you what's wrong in our society is that we, have, we find contentment in what we own instead of the people we relate to. We need relationships. And that's what should give us our riches. That's what we do take with us when we go. So attitude is everything. He says, have an attitude of hospitality. Have an attitude of care for one another. Have an attitude for marriage to be sacred. Have an attitude to be content with whatever you're at. And he says, you know what? Jesus was very relational. Jesus is relational. God is relational. And he said uh, in the next verse, remember what the Lord said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You remember what Jesus said? And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you always. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, is a direct quote from Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. It is a covenant promise of God. And all the covenant promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And he said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So if you really believe that, couldn't you be content in any situation you're in? Because if you got Jesus, what else do you need? Well, sometimes food, sometimes clothes, sometimes a house. But learn how to be content with Jesus. And he says, look what happens. So we say with confidence, we're back to attitude, There's your attitude. If you know that Jesus is never going to leave you and He's never going to forsake you, then your attitude should be this next verse. The Lord's my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? There's an attitude. That's the attitude the church should have. That is an attitude that breaks the spirit of fear. Jesus said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So what should I fear? Now there's an attitude. That's a Christian attitude that you and I should have. We should not be backing away from situations. Come on, what are you going to do to me? Kill me? That's the worst you can do? i got eternal life. Many of us hold this life more precious than our eternal life. And that is not scriptural. It's not biblical. It's not Christian. For we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, third component, to where we will not shrink back from death because we love our lives so much. That's the threefold knockout punch to the devil. We only quote two. Really? Seriously? Listen to the teaching all the time. Everybody says, How do you overcome the devil? Hallelujah! By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. You're incomplete gonna quote the word quote the word and because we don't love our lives more than we love jesus so what am i afraid of what are you afraid of right attitude is everything you ever see people who are fearless they don't stop they don't flinch everybody stops at a particular line and that person just keeps on going Do you ever see that Someone needs help, and everybody goes, oh, oh, what should we do? And someone else goes right up all the way to them. They don't stop at the line everybody else stops at. God's looking for a people with that kind of an attitude. You got attitude? Say it, I got attitude. I got attitude. Say it again, I got, I, got I got attitude. Amen. I want you to walk out here. How about the world? The world has attitude all the time, right? Right? Attitude. Everybody wears their attitude. Their clothes, they wear their attitude. Right? See attitude all the time in music. It's all about attitude. All about attitude. Tell the world, I got attitude. Jesus' is attitude, right? What shall I fear? And he goes on and he says this about Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now there is a theological statement that speaks of the eternality of Christ Jesus. It gives him the same level of deity as God the Father. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we know that our God is eternal, Jesus Christ. So what's your attitude knowing that God's the same? What's your attitude knowing that Jesus lives in me? What's your attitude that knowing that he'll never leave me nor forsake me? My attitude is I need to uphold the word of God at all costs, and I shall not be afraid. But we've been seduced and wooed into compliance with the world. Compliance. Have you ever heard that word? Compliance, compatible? Hmm? Yeah, they're compliant. Don't worry about the church, they're compliant. They won't rock the boat, they're fine. Wow. It's time for us to stand up and say, i got attitude. i got attitude. We need to change things. He goes on now, and then he talks about worship. He talks about the attitude for worship. He he says in verse 9, Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. You understand who he's talking to the hebrews the jews he's saying the levites who prepared the table of show they can't eat of this bread we've got the bread that was hidden in the ark of the covenant the hidden manna we've got the true bread of god living in us they can't even partake unless they come to the cross And he goes on and he talks about the kind of worship that the Old Testament has. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us go then outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. People don't, adi- people don't understand Christianity. They want Christianity to conform to world religions. And Christianity will not conform to religion. It will not conform. Jesus was crucified outside the gate of what was acceptable for religious purposes. Judaism was accepted in Rome. It was accepted worldwide. Christianity was not. And we've come to a place now where Christianity is compatible with all other religions. And I want to tell you, it is not compatible with any other religion. We will not have... Uh, uh, I, I, what What is it called? Christ, Christalam, Krislam? We will not have Krislam. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You think I'm talking about oil you put for french fries. Crisco or something. Crislam. There's a movement right now where Christians and Muslims would come together and because we all worship the same God, let's share our pulpits. Let's share our services. My Jesus is not compatible with Muhammad. It's not. Islam is not compatible with the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is a God of love, a God of peace. We speak love to our enemies. Get it right now. Don't get an attitude like the world. We have to renew our minds. Be careful. Don't get an attitude in Christianity like like you're going to take out everybody else. That's a worldly concept. We're going to win everybody. Everybody to Christ. That's a Christian attitude. But it's incompatible with the world religions. And what he's saying is it's incompatible to go back to Judaism. You can't. You worship the one true Lord who was crucified outside the camp. Everything Jesus did is outside the realm of human understanding and purpose. He is divine. He is supernatural. He is awesome and holy. You have to leave what you had here and go into the place that only Christ allows, the blood The blood of Jesus Christ. So come and worship Him there. And so he talks about an attitude of worship. And he says, we're not looking for a city here, we're looking for that city. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. I got three sacrifices listed here. Much of our Christianity is incomplete in this explanation as well. We understand worship. Now let's, let's look at that first. He says this Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Israel always gave sacrifices to God, sacrifices of God. But there is one sacrifice that finished all the sacrifices of Judaism. All five Levitical sacrifices were completed in what Christ did on the cross. So there's just one continual sacrifice that needs to be brought forth by the priests of the Lord, which we are, and that is the sacrifice of praise. Now he goes on to explain what sacrificial praise is. First of all, it is audibly giving thanks to God. The fruit of our what? mind no lips but what we've done is we think that if we praise God in our head we're good we praise God from our heart we're good he says that then your heart's not full enough because out of the abundance of the heart what happens the mouth speaks are you satisfied with your husband or your wife thinking they love you come on how long does that last You've heard the story of the man, the, the woman who complained. She, she, they're, they're going through a divorce. She, she goes to the lawyer and says, he never says he loves me. And he said, if that's the problem. She said, why don't you ever say that? He said, look I said it once when we said our vows. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. It's not good enough to say it once. How often does Jesus deserve our audible praise? An abundance of our hearts. Hallelujah. Oh, we can mentally think. And yes, how, yeah, he, he hears every thought of our heart. Every, but there's something that is abundant. I know my kids love me, but I love to have them hug me and tell me. Who doesn't like that? God said the fruit of our lips, because that, what it exposes is an abundance of our heart. When we gather here together, brothers and sisters, we play the music just a little bit louder. Can I tell you why? So that you'll praise him. If it's too quiet, most people don't praise because they hear themselves, and they get nervous, and you're nervous to sing oh, "Hallelujah." When the music's loud, it's oh, "Hallelujah." But we gather together for audible praise. And we don't stop there. Once the song's done, we encourage you, keep praising God. Keep praising God. The fruit of your lips, you are offering sacrifice to a holy God who deserves every ounce of sacrifice we have 24-7. 24-7. He goes on and he says, but that's not enough. Listen, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, didn't we? How many of you have grateful hearts, thankful hearts? There is a difference between having a thanks in your heart, and giving thanks. We celebrate thanksgiving, but as believers, our attitude should be giving thanks. There's a big difference. It's nice to have a thankful heart. It's another step to have a giving of thanks. Right? Don't you appreciate giving thanks? And so that's what God wants. Give thanks to God. Now, in scriptural times, biblical times, there is not just audible praise, but he goes on and he says... Do not forget to do good and share with others. There's the rest of our thanksgiving. There's the rest of our praise and the sacrifice of God. To do good and to share. There are three things involved in the attitude of worship. To audibly praise God, to do good, and to share with others. That is biblical worship. We've confined it to come for an hour at church, sing some songs, and go home and do your own thing. It's a dog-eat-dog world. That's not it. A true act of worship to God continues in doing good and sharing with others. Look at Isaiah 58. And look at a fast that is acceptable to the Lord. He says, this is a fast that is acceptable to me, that breaks the bonds of wickedness. Our God is so practical, I'm telling you. It's so practical. We love the spiritual stuff, but it's so practical. He says, you know, you're fasting so that you'll draw closer to me. And he said, but can I tell you what fasting can do for your society and your community? It can transform it. He says, because the food you don't eat, would you give it to someone else? There's a fast I love, says the Lord. The clothes that you're not going to wear any longer, would you give it to somebody else? You see, you're breaking the bonds of wickedness. Those who don't have food, those who don't have clothing. Uh, When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Who said that? Jesus, Matthew 24. And the nations will be judged by that. And he said, those you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. So true praise true worship of god goes beyond singing speaking it goes into doing good and sharing some of you are tired we're always challenging you go out and and help this person and we need some money to do this kind of a thing and the next project we're doing is this we're a doing church can i tell you why because we're praising jesus Trying to teach and train true discipleship is not just an expression of worship uh, by the fruit of our lips, which is essential, but it is also doing good and sharing with what we have. There is true worship. And now we go on, and he, he goes on and he says, you know what? We need to have this kind of biblical praise. He then sums up an issue, and he talks about leadership, and it's essential to have leadership. He says in verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, now that's right within the definition of a leader. Someone that you, what? Follow. Right? Now, why would you follow someone that you don't like the outcome to? That's pretty simple, isn't it? You watch your leaders if you don't like the outcome of what they're doing then don't follow them doesn't that make sense Now, now, now. There's, so you need to evaluate whether you can come in under that leadership and I understand that some of you don't like my leadership they're not here <laughs> I can live with that they're my sister they're my brother and I'm gonna do things that they don't like and so they don't come that's alright But there are some of you that like my leadership, so you'll follow my leadership. And all I can do is the best I can in living towards the Lord. But it's got to add up in the end, so when it's added up and you look at it and you watch it you say, well, I can put up with that, it's good. Then praise God. That's what leadership should be. And then you have to have an attitude. So first of all, you have to look at the leader's attitude and say, is that the attitude I want? Is that an attitude I can follow? Then he goes on and he says, now let's check your attitude. In verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. So how's your attitude towards the leader? Because if he's fed up and tired of fighting and fighting and fighting with your attitude, it's not good for you because he's coming against you. So let's check our attitude. And he says, look, this is what your leaders should do. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Keeping watch over your souls. And so a good Christian attitude of of walking with the leadership that you are under in a church is to understand what is the purpose of that leader. The purpose of that leader isn't necessarily to to be... um, Well, you know, your friend and available to this and that. They should be friendly and they should be your friend, but with limitations. Because a leader can't do that for everybody. What is the main objective of the spiritual leader? Keep watch for your souls. Do you have people and friends that you like, but they don't tell you when you've done something wrong? And see, a lot of times people don't like leaders because they tell you what you did wrong. Well, who does he think he is? What's he got? He's got to give an account to God for you. He's got to give an account. And when a leader is trying to give an account over souls, he has to make a decision. Do I need to attend to that need right now? Because I've got these other needs that they don't know about. There are a number of needs that most of the time go undetected because they're personal and they're private. And there are issues that these people don't want known. Most of the needs that I meet with people, are they don't want other people to know. And so I don't tell other people. There are needs among some of the folks, I don't tell the other leaders and the elders because I was asked not to. And you would look and you'd say, well, what's he doing now? He's not doing anything. But you don't understand. I've got things happening over here that if I have to account for their souls, I have to take care of this thing and I might let that thing Go because I have confidence that Jesus will work it out in you. A good leader should have confidence in the Holy Spirit and doesn't have to solve everybody's problems. A good leader wants to teach you how to solve your problems and go to Jesus. So attitude is everything. Obey your leaders. Attitude in worship. Attitude in coming together. Attitude in humility and submission. Attitude in marriage and uh, contentment. Attitude is everything. And he concludes and says, greet all your leaders and all God's people, those in Italy, send your, their greetings to you. He says, please, in verse 22, bear with my word of exhortation. I know I've written you only a short letter, but what I've written to you as Hebrews is my heart and my passion. Now get the right attitude and follow after Christ with all your heart. Let's bow our heads. Oh God, help us.